Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and the Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. We're translated into many different languages for our listeners outside the country, and we're really proud of that. And the call number tonight is 619-924-9744, and the Paranormal Sacred Airs every Friday night, 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I want to say uh, happy May Day to everybody, and uh, right now comes to the uh, little uh, small print warning. Uh, during the show, I can take your questions in order in chat, so you may call in with your question and speak with our beloved guests. However, any buzz killers in chat or on the phone will be summarily, if that's what you say it, kicked out, and I have a copy of your phone number, and I'll call you back, and I'll bug you, so please play nice and be polite. And again, happy May Day and to everybody, and... Uh, I want to bring back the old tradition of the May Day basket, so uh, i got to figure out what they put in those baskets. Anyway, uh, let's do a couple of announcements. We have coming up, so save your money, in August 28th through 29th in Maine. That's when it finally gets warm there. Uh, they're having the Experience of Speak gathering, and everybody and their brother is showing up over there, so uh, please get ready for that, and the more to be revealed later. And Contact in the Desert in Joshua Tree, California is coming May this month, the end of the month, 29th through 31st. And it's the planet's premier UFO convention. And join us for a weekend of exploration into extraterrestrial life, ancient aliens, human origins, crop circles, UFO sightings, anti-gravity machines, contact experiences, and the need to know featuring many people. George Norrie's going to be there. And George Hill with the hair is going to be there. And then Donegan's going to be there. Oh, gosh, just for uh, the list. Some, uh, Ms. Eisenhower's going to be there, Nick Pope. Everybody's going to be there, and uh, except for me. I can't stand that desert, but someday I will I will probably go when I have a luck thing. So anyway, for conference tickets, tickets and info, go to contactinthedesert.com, or you can call them, 760-365-8371. And they all look really happy when they do go, even though to me it's hot and I don't, I don't get it. But anyway, and then again, uh, there's another event coming up, and he has a series of things that he's doing. And uh, it's, uh, it's Gary Groff. I can't pronounce his last name. Anyway, yeah, he does the Jungian archetypal uh, workshops, and he's going to have his next one June 12th through the June 14th. And... Uh, 
It's going to be in Sherman Oaks, California. And just go to his website to check it out and get the tickets, www.archeytypalnature.com. And so he has a little note here. How is your path different from others? What is your deepest source of satisfaction and fulfillment? Discover how to better understand others and give them what they really want and get you what you really want. Anyway, he's an interesting guy. I've had him on a couple times, and he's written fascinating books. And if you like Carl Jung and all things uh, symbolic, that's the, that's the place for you. Anyway, I want to tell you about another thing before I welcome our wonderful guest on. Now, this is from wonderful friend Marilyn Salas. Now, she's Captain Robert Salas' wife, but she's got something going on here. It's called Love's Blessing. It contains 26 essential oils from geranium and bergamot, sandalwood, myrrh, hyssop, angelica, uh, rose otto. Anyway, there's 26 essential oils, and it's just beautiful stuff. It's, to me, it smells like a very light uh, uh, incense. And with love blessings, and what do you do? It's calming, relaxing, uplifting, energy cleansing. And they come in these beautiful little, uh, she has a little crystal on it, uh, blue spray bottles. And you can get her stuff that's beautiful at a very reasonable cost, www.lovesblessing.com. Or you can get more info at info at lovesblessing.com and just say, Marilyn, to tell her Char sent you. And I love Marilyn, so uh, let's back her up. And she's got that beautiful thing, and I bless myself with that stuff every morning, besides the holy water that Marsha gives me. Anyway, so finally, you know, I have a couple people on the, on the radio today and on the phone that uh, you really, uh, really are going to be surprised to hear what they have to say. Uh, they're a beloved couple. It's author Edwin S. Becker and his wife, Marsha Becker. And he re-entered the world of paranormal. After 42 years, it was book True Haunting. The haunting was so active, it became the first ever televised paranormal event. And it was an exorcism that was on, was on but they'll tell you about it. I'm not going to say much. Anyway, it was uh, unusual. Was it, 19, it was very unusual 1970. I remember when it happened. Believe it or not, I do remember this. And Ed was a professional musician in the 60s, and that's where he met his wife, Marsha. And they've been married, I think, 47, 48 years now. And they have uh, two daughters and four granddaughters. And Marsha is an artist. She makes this beautiful jewelry and blessed um, handmade rosaries that have either been uh, used in the Vatican. And anyway, these are a couple of uh, my dear friends, and I'm really blessed to have them. And I'm going to get them aboard right now. Welcome to Paranormal and the Sacred Your Lives. Hi, Char. Hi. Good evening. Hi. Hi, you guys. I just love We're you too great. much. We're great. How are you? I'm doing very well. I'm here in Southern California where it's just perfect. Yeah, it your is. weather's nicer than ours. <laughs> no, well, ours was pretty so, nice today. Yeah, it was nice today. I have to admit. It was nice. It's yeah, a, for a change. <laughs> yeah, it's so beautiful. You know, we just are counting our blessings. I mean... It feels like extraordinarily great. I don't, I don't know. It's uh, like, it's like before the shoe dropped, we had that little tiny earthquake, and then yeah. I had a sign in my yard when I looked out there this morning. There was a hawk in my yard, and I'm thinking, do you realize I'm in a city? What do you? It was a hawk doing sitting in my yard. Anyway, there was a hawk out. There. I know. I don't understand people who live in California. <laughs> because, I mean, from our you perspective, we'll always see. 
<laughs> as, as we see, you know, now you're running out of water, and we see mudslides, and we see enormous forest fires, and. Uh, <laughs> but it's beautiful. Yeah, and earthquakes it's and. Beautiful, uh, but we've got palm trees and water, ocean water. I know. We desalinate, then we'll have plenty of water. That's right. It's gorgeous. But I know how well, you feel about the birds. We we live in the city now too. And we didn't, yeah. but we moved here to be closer to a trauma center. Turns out now for both of us. And um, our backyard is, it, we butt up to a fairly busy street with a fence. But we've had a falcon. We've had hawks. We have um, the little tiny birds. And we have blackbirds and, and just everything. And it's amazing. I can't believe how many birds hang around here. In the city. Well, we I feed know. them. Really I mean, she she forgot the part that we put a bucket of food out there <laughs> every day. I feed mine no. too, so I'm, I'm luring the the beautiful little doves in. I even oh, have a I love white them. Dove that shows up. And I yeah. love them. So anyway, I think they're following, the hawk is following the doves. I hate to say it. I, I really don't want to see a murder out there because I was just thinking that. <laughs> the big old crows like out there. But I, I don't want to see anything bad happen. But once in a while, I see like a bunch of feathers, and it doesn't. I just don't want to talk about it anymore. But anyway, I shoo so, them off. I tell them if they if they don't behave and play nice, they have to go. So then I, <laughs> I shoo them off if they start acting bad. That's right. So that's the but rules do, in the yard. <laughs> but I love I love wildlife. I really do. So I'm hoping this. I have these three year uh, this three year plan for uh, heading uh, to. Uh, North Carolina, getting like an acre, and then having kind of a glam farm. Right. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so not, I don't want a full-on farm. I just want a few things, and then I right. want a couple chickens. But I want them all beautiful and glamorous. They give colored eggs, and, you know, I want to live that kind of life. <laughs> oh, they have, they've got gorgeous ones. And when, that's the one thing I miss most about Branson, because we had a fox and we had deer, and one one morning I even looked out when we had this freak snowstorm, and here were two solid, beautiful, royal black panthers. Oh, my God. Oh, I was just in awe, and I just stood there, and I, I thought how lucky I was to see this up close, but not too close. <laughs> you know? Oh, how awesome. But, uh, it was great. Yeah, we had and every kind of bird imaginable, squirrels, rabbits, and they all hung around our house, and we fed everybody, and it was cool. Yeah, we had a possum, and we had uh, yeah, 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 possum. A squirrel that used to follow me around. The squirrel, we were, our house was on a golf course, and we're right next to a fairway, and the squirrel really wanted to endear himself to me because what I would do is go out on the patio. In, in the natural sunlight is where I would take Marsh's rosary pictures. So I would sit there with a pile of rosaries and stage them and take the pictures. And the squirrel would come up there and he'd want to be friendly. And <laughs> He wanted a rosary. <laughs> I, I, I would I would shoo him away because if he were friendly to a human and then run out on the golf course where these guys got golf clubs, they're going to think he's rabid and, and you know, <laughs> hit him 300 yards. So my grandkids used to laugh because uh, Sammy is what I called him. If Sammy got too close, I'd hit him with the hose and squirt him and uh, scare him away. Uh, it wow. didn't work, though. It didn't work. They hung around, and um, it's. I feel bad. In fact, the, this is a true story. The day we 
drove away. It was sad. I hated leaving all the animals because I know nobody would feed them, and that really hurt me to do that. And we drove. We started driving away, and the squirrel, I swear to you, tried to jump in the window of the car. And oh he my was God, not going with really it. I'm that. serious. And he didn't make it. We so he was okay. I freaked out. Thinking, oh my yeah. God, he's perfect. It was weird how he. <laughs> it was weird how he did it because we had this. We had a retaining wall in the front of our house on the island, and he came running from the from the golf course up the hill, and then ran the retaining wall, which elevated him, and then he jumped from the retaining wall trying to get to the car. Yep. And it, it was just wow. unbelievable. Well, he was going to come with he, us. He wanted to be with you, and I did notice the birds were, well, they kind of get really uh, tough with me. You know, if I'm there, I'm at a seat and I haven't got it out there. They come to my uh, door and look <laughs> at me. And the little ones have like a one leader and then three follower, and they all look at me. They'll come as close as they can. But a dove came in there, and the way that dove looked at me, I had to get to the store. And it, they did fly and watch me get in the car. And I was thinking, these birds are a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Oh, they they really, they, I didn't know they knew it was me feeding them. I didn't. I don't know. But anyway. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, it no, takes a certain kind of, of love to love animals like you guys do. <laughs> Yeah, there's a you picture of me. There's a picture of me holding a bird that everybody says is photoshopped, and it's not. And now the bird flew right the, on his finger. The, the bird would would I come right saw down. That. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, that was, was I, the one I was bird. lucky enough. Marcia got a picture of, but it it happened many many times. And uh, actually, the most obnoxious bird, if you want to put something out there, is the hummingbirds. They'll come right up to your face. They will come right yeah. in your face. Hey, well, they have the food Napoleon complex. They have the Napoleon complex. It's the little short ones of the, the, the get the little godheads. But anyway, yeah. Cause, you know, I think it takes a certain kind of people to love animals like we all do, because we do. Uh, and uh, I, I can't live without them. And I have a little dog I rescued, and I love her. You know, yep. and it takes a certain kind of person. And actually, you guys are actually collectors of people, also, because I am one of your adopted people. Yeah, people, animals. I'm jealous of all of them, too. I went, dang it, that girl. Who is that girl? I'll see another person over there with you. No, we have. We have. How dare they move in on my territory? But you're really, really well beloved. We have adopted uh, children everywhere. Oh, I know. I'm mom. And we're, you know. Some of us are old. We're old, but we still want to get adopted. I know. So, anyway. So anyway, the, me, uh, I know. Oh, I have the, I I have a whole group, you know, I'm mom, so everybody comes and, you know, tells me all their problems, and so we just I chat know. and make them laugh, and, you know, I think it's awesome. And um, it people need each other, and it's something oh, that do. I... Well, you, you don't know how many, how many uh, <laughs> messages, emails I get from men who maybe they've read the book or maybe they just see, see me on Facebook, but they'll realize that Marsha and I are still married after we're going on 49 years now. And yes. it, it's like it, men are, men don't have a clue. They'll write me and they'll say, <laughs> you know, how the hell did you do it? And, uh, you know, I tell them what, 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 the truth. You know, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> we live by the three C's, okay, caring, communication, and compromise. Yeah. And, uh, 
as long as you maintain that, as long as you care and you communicate and you compromise, you can get through some tough times, you know. And you tell me I'm right a lot. <laughs> well, <laughs> at about, at, 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 and this is the truth, at about the 25th, about the 25th year of marriage, I just threw in the towel. <laughs> you so, finally gave in to the truth. Yeah, I, I, I realized I don't, I shouldn't, you know, arguing gets me nowhere. Uh, this is just bad, and I just agree to everything. And, it's uh, safer that way. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, but you know, uh, if you guys got besides you got chemistry and family, and you both uh, love uh, tradition and and stuff like that, so all this stuff keeps you together and uh, and, and clinging to each other in the hard times. That's what it's all about, you know. Because uh, right, right now, yeah, you, right now you're not alone. You know, when other other people have made other choices and they are alone. You know, even though it's, right. it's not their fault. But it's you di- it's difficult. You know, I won't lie to anybody. It, it's in today's world. I think it's a little more difficult because people have so many outlets to to quit. And uh, and I I don't understand people, young people. Uh, we've we, we've got some young people that we've adopted as our uh, <laughs> daughters, and and uh, you know, a couple of one one is a very beautiful woman. And I, I get mad at her. She's not married. And but everybody's scrutinizing everybody. It, it depends on, uh, you know, of course, what the person looks like and chemistry and what they're driving and what kind of job they have. And that's so silly. Marsha and I just touched hands and said, "Let's go through life together." Now she knew shit yeah. about me, and I didn't know anything about her. <laughs> and we just let yeah. our hearts rule. We let our hearts rule. And yeah. uh, too many people today don't let their heart rule. Uh, because you can make it work if you really want to, and uh, quitting is just something you can't accept. No. Right. One thing I told my daughter, my youngest daughter, when she got married, and she kind of jokingly said to me, Mom, any advice, you know? And I said, the best advice I can give you is allow him to be himself, and he needs to yeah. do the same for you. It's when you think you're going to change somebody that everything goes wrong. People have to be who they are. You have to love and respect them for who they are. I'm not saying you can't change a bad habit or, you know, your hair color or something, but I'm talking about who you are. And so that I think people forget that. They they forget to like each other for who they are. And yeah. you know everybody keeps thinking, oh, you, you know, you could be this or that or change or. And that's silly. If that's what you want, then you're hooking up with the wrong person. Right, because so. the you know essentially, we're probably the same people we were when we were seven. Exactly. You know, when we go, you know, when we go back, we're actually kind of like the same person, and the outer yeah. has changed, but the inner is. Basically, you're yourself that you were born to be, but then, you know, of course, Always. all the outside yeah. stuff happens. Boy, you just pushed my hot button because <laughs> it, it, that's one of the it's one of the punishments of getting old, that your mind yeah. doesn't get old. Your mind doesn't no. get old. No, you don't feel old. And, you know, as you, as you, as you age, I was just telling a friend of mine, he, he was, uh, he's 55, and he said, you know, Ed, I did something, and it, it, I used to be able to do it. It hurt, you know. And I told him, I said, "That's, you know, that's what what 
what happens? I said, no one warns you. There's no handbook that they give you. No. And I said, you usually find out you can't do something any longer accompanied by great pain. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it'll be, oh, shit, I shouldn't have lifted that, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, Christ, yeah. I threw what my back out. You know? <laughs> yeah, no more twerking for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't have been twerking uh, in the first place. Oh, that's amusing. But anyway, <laughs> it's... Uh, so, you know, the thing that, that happens is that, um, okay, let's say your age and illness and stuff alters your world, but then we have to adjust because this is actually what was promised to us. So we will be old someday. That's we right. We will be ill. I mean, it's, you know, it's just the, the way nature is. And uh, it's accepting it is the other thing. So it took me a couple minutes this time. Oh, yeah. You know, but you, you know what I found out. What? Here's, I think, a really neat thing that I found out was I went through a little bit of that when all of a sudden I had heart problems. And I'd been healthy and all over the place and strong and walking three to five miles a day. And I was feeling really great. And then I got a, a little lesson and slammed and, you know, had a heart problem. And now I can't do all that stuff. Well, I pouted for a while and felt a little sorry for myself. Then what I realized was... I now I have all this time to give to people. I have all this time to give to others. And yeah. we there's a lot I can still do and be myself because I've always been a people person. And I've always yeah. loved people and just I, like you said since we were 7. Um yeah. that's just somebody I've always been. Now I have the time to really give myself to to people. So, yeah, it's a little bit of an exchange, but it doesn't mean you have to give up who you are. You could be a better you. Know. You can be different you know, before you get. Yeah, you can be different, but, you know, a couple of years have been a blow to my ego, too, because um, I'm, I'm single for the most part, but... Uh, I get asked out, and I, I, I just right away, this just happened to me. I, this guy asked for my phone number. Listen, I went, no. He went, <laughs> he was shocked. And I said, no. He asked again. I went, just no. And he said, well, why? I said, because I'm tired. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> tired. <laughs> I'm too tired to date. Man, this is terrible. It's a whole no, it's just the way it I is. I am just, just the way it is right now. <laughs> That's right. I just want to, because I want to tell the truth, because I, I kept saying, begging off things. But now, you know, I'm really doing a good job taking care of myself and meeting all my uh, commitments, and I can't do the extras right now until I get these couple things fixed. You know what I mean? Sure. But it's, Absolutely. So it got to me. It started striking me funny. So now it's not bothering me to say that anymore. <laughs> no, it doesn't I, bother me either. The first time I said it, I know. The first time I said it, I went, "Dang! If this was me in the '80s, I was like, I would laugh at myself." I know. Now it's happening. But you know anyway. what? Ed and I have had time to work on. This is something that I've talked to him about for several years doing this book because I felt like it, I I really felt like it kind of wasn't fair. I wanted to get my version out, my story, my experiences. Um, my, 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 my. Marsha, well, Marsha, Marsha. Shut up. And because <laughs> I we had two different experiences. And so it was really, now we just didn't have time. 
Ed was just bombarded with, get this book out, get that book out. They want a sequel. They yeah. want this. So now we have the time, and we we've spent a great deal of time <clears throat> working together. You know, living together is one thing; working together is another. So it's yeah. been an experience, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, good, bad, well, or otherwise. I think people are going to find it to be. Uh, I hope as interesting as True Haunting or more, because uh, I avoided writing it. You know, people, some people don't get it. I I, I think only haunted survivors can get it. You, there's no fun in writing nonfiction where it's unpleasant. Right. And this was an unpleasant, probably the most unpleasant period in their lives. So although people have been screaming for True Haunting, you know, it's more, we want more, I didn't enjoy writing it, uh, but no. what happened is I wound up uh, having blood clots in my leg and homebound. So I figured, well, yeah. now I might as well do it. And uh, people aren't going to believe it because if they read True Haunting, they realized it was all my perspective, it was my voice all the way through. Right. I never sat with Marsha and said what happened during the day when I was at work. How was your day? I never asked her that question. Oh. Because I already knew the damn answer, and, and there was nothing I could do about it. And I felt at tw- age 24, I was very, very uh, guilty and inadequate, I felt. Uh, so much so, I mean, it drove me into despair. Yeah. So <clears throat> this time I sat down, and I said, uh, we're going to take it. Besides having, I got a 25-page manifesto from Dan, our first floor tenant, uh, but mm-hmm. I said, Marcia, we're going to take it from the beginning. How did you see it, okay, from the time we bought the house? What What is it that you saw? What is it that you felt? What is it, you know, what did you do when I was at work all day? And I, I it was amazing because I got a revelation. I mean, I never knew that my sister used to drop off her two sons in the morning, and Marcia would basically babysit them all day. And my sister would go out and do whatever. She wasn't working, so she, you know, she'd go out with her friends. Marcia taught those boys how to count and how to read. I never knew that. Yeah. Wow. You know, and then we, in True Haunting, I talked no, I about. Didn't. In True Haunting, I talked about my agitation, but there were things that I completely forgot. Like she said, uh, "Yeah, I remember when you broke your guitar in half," and it was like, "Wait a second. I only had one guitar. I had treasured that since my teens. And you're right. I got so angry, I broke it in half. Sharp. This is thing. In a he fit of rage. He was always mad. He was always angry. That house made him that way. He was always yeah. angry. Everything made him mad. Everything upset him. And that's what they did to him. That's the effect that they had on him. The challenge. I call but, it a challenge. But, but it was very, very strange to sit there and interview your wife after 42 years, <laughs> you know, 43 Amazing. years, you know. And, and uh, she reminded me of something I don't think is in True Haunting. There's a lot of stuff that's not going to be in True Haunting. Right. Eventually, I got sick of the telephone coming off the hook. And after the exorcism failed, I realized I had to get another job and I was going to work our way out of there. Well, I couldn't tolerate calling home and having the phone busy. 
So I relocated the phone into the kitchen. Now right. I, com- I completely forgot that. One of those old wall phones, right? And in fact, yeah. I got a bigger, I got a bigger, heavier phone, and I almost installed it on the outside porch. <laughs> well, I couldn't get I to it. <laughs> it. That seemed it seemed to be other than the footsteps on the porch and the arguing, it seemed to be a safe zone. Yeah. Uh, but I wound yeah. up putting it right on the back wall next to the the back door, and that did solve the problem. Right. And uh, I ignored that completely in the book. I completely forgot that. Uh, it was much like installing the drain to solve the plug coming out. I, I moved the phone, and right. you know, whatever wherever that phone was, apparently whatever was, whose whosever territory that was, they didn't like it. And yeah. uh, once I moved it to the kitchen next to the back door, we never had the problem again. Well, we, you know, we. have really did figure out, at least in our opinion, um, different, we, there were five in our opinion. That's what we felt, and, and Joseph agreed with us. Um, different, the different spirits did different things, and I think they dominated different areas. Not that they weren't everywhere, but primarily different ones would be in different areas of the house of the building and i think just whoever was hanging around that area in the living room because uh, a lot of things happened there that weren't good i mean it was all bad it just you know people said to me why did you hang out in the kitchen because that was obviously just as haunted as all the other rooms in fact it was probably more probably active. more active yeah it was more right. active um, I said because there were windows, a whole bunch of windows. Whole, it was a very old place. In this book, mm-hmm. we're actually going to have pictures. We dug up, era had dug up some pictures. Um, we don't have a lot because it was expensive back in those days, so mm-hmm. we couldn't afford it. But we did my, manage to find some. And the fact I could see the outside world sort of helped my psyche. Yeah, it's like okay, this is not everything. I'm not, you know, a prisoner. Although it did come, become that. I mean, it's how you felt. But there was a door. I had an escape plan in my head. How fast can I grab the baby? She was never more than a few feet away from me at any given time. If I couldn't see her and get to her in like one second, um, it she wasn't there. It she had to be near me at all times. And I had this escape plan that I could get out that door and down the stairs and out of the house. And it got that bad that I felt I was going to, someday I may have to actually run out of here. And, I mean, once I was touched, that was the last straw for me because that told me they could do anything they wanted to. Yeah, in fact, that was something that... uh... I felt bad about. I mean, I felt bad about the whole thing when we did Paranormal Witness. That was actually my first time ever speaking in public. And the director, who I understand now why actors like certain directors, because this director took me back. He was great. And yeah. uh, he he surfaced my emotions two or three times where I had to say, "Stop it." Me too. Stop camera, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. But in talking to Marsha, I never really understood. You know, something touched her. And it was like big deal. That's that was my attitude. <clears throat> oh no. Okay, so you got touched. All right. <laughs> yeah. But in interviewing her now, it was like, wait a second, let me walk a mile in her shoes. Here I am taking a bath. I'm naked. 
I'm vulnerable, and I feel a cold hand of death on my shoulder. Yeah, that's going to freak you out. Come well, on. from there on in, then all of a sudden I had, all, you know, this is just recent. I'm having all these flashbacks while I'm writing. It's like no wonder she started taking baths in the evening, right. leaving the door open. No wonder she used the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. And, and because she, you know, I started to think, what if I were there, and I was always afraid that someone might lay their hand on me. And, <clears> and right. unlike unlike today, where you have all these images that Hollywood's concocted, the only image we had actually that, that she could possibly have was the image of a dead guy, like from a casket or something. Right. Uh, you know, so it was like, yeah. wow, how the hell did you live with that? No wonder you went home, and, <laughs> and, you know, because she actually went home to Tulsa, and I underst- I started to understand it all where I, I never tried to before. Uh, and, you well, know, wasn't, there's... It wasn't, uh, you weren't ready or something for that, because I think this is, this is what hurts you the most is that you couldn't stop it. You know, oh, it definitely hurt me the not most. Till, yeah. I, I, not until I mean, now why could I, you talk about it. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I was perpetually angry. I wanted to, I wanted a confrontation, and uh, I couldn't understand. Oh, he thought he did. He I really. thought I did. No. I mean, but I, I, I didn't understand why uh, I couldn't get a confrontation. And you know something that it's invisible, I can't see. It's it does it's meaningless. Right. I started calling them airbags before there were such a thing. <laughs> I mean, I used to tell Marcia, they're just bags of air. What the hell do I care? Uh, yeah. And I thought I couldn't make their life. I called them names. I intimidated them. I you screamed did at them. Everything wrong. Yeah. I, I thought I could make their life so miserable that they'd leave. You know, and boy was I wrong. Right. I was just an idiot of a young man. Uh, but that's you know that's who I was at the time, and I didn't want to hear what Marsha had to say simply because I couldn't do anything about it. Right. I couldn't protect her. I couldn't stop it. It was like, you know, maybe I can just ignore this whole situation, uh, <laughs> much like I did for the the first six months we lived there. I, I sort of just said everything. She'd say something happened, and I'd say, ah, bullshit. And my logical mind would take over, and like replacing the bathtub plug with a, a mechanical plug, it worked. And replacing the light fixture in the kitchen, it didn't work. The light still flickered. I couldn't figure it out. Uh, the cabinet door was going against gravity. It didn't make any sense to me. I couldn't... How does something move against gravity? I mean, uh, of course it can. I mean, when it has some, some energy behind it. Well, they create uh, doubts. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Like if I walk in the kitchen and the water's on, Ed would say, you left the water on again. No, I I know I didn't. It's my habit to reach up and turn it off. Um, if I couldn't find my broom, well, you know, you're forgetting where you put things. You're sleep deprived. And I know that's not true because I'm a creature of habit. I Back in those days, let me tell you, I was one of these people where if there was a speck of dust on the floor, I'd scrub the whole floor. Um, yeah. Everything had to be neat and orderly and, and that kind of thing. Well, they knew that about me. So what did they do? They messed things up. And yeah, they had things out of order. Exactly. It was a, a couple of things that scared me. So Because I read the book first. Then I meant you guys. I can't remember how that all happened. And then I saw the, the, the your story on 
the season, the fin- final season of season two of the Paranormal Witness called the right. Now, if people have not seen your story and who's listening right now, I, I think it's available. I think I saw it on YouTube and I watched it. Is. it. And I it also is. Yes, saw I, it on Netflix or something. I think I saw uh, it on Amazon. A- Amazon. Amazon. Amazon yeah. or Netflix. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure about Netflix. Amazon. Amazon, yeah. Well, this, it was so chilling, you know, to see you guys. And it was very well done. So uh, anybody that wants to, to see this interview really should go and go to Amazon and or go to YouTube. It's there, and it was it's a, it, they broke all of the paranormal uh, witnesses viewing record. And uh, yes, what about yeah? We, what we about, did, there's a funny story about that. We set them up for failure because <laughs> what happened was they did a, they had the season one with six episodes, and a couple of those episodes were I didn't like at all because uh, I knew right away they had no paranormal advisor on staff. Because the English are different. They come out of London, these people. They only found me because my book went to number one in parapsychology in England. So they had to find find me, and they did. And I watched their first season, and I thought, this is kind of cheesy. I didn't really like it that much. Because uh, one of the episodes had two teenage girls, and the house was teepeed. And they considered that a paranormal event. Uh, and, and I, I, I and I told these Brits, I said that that's not paranormal in America. No, you teenage. Know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just teenage angst. We know he's doing that. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they I, eventually, I agreed to do the the thing, and, and Marsha and I, and we did. Uh, I have to admit, our director was tremendous, and they, given its entertainment, they stayed as close as they could. They over dramatized some stuff, but what happened was they the directors couldn't agree on the footage, and they made us the ninety minute finale. Which was great, and yeah. it shattered all their records. Well, what we didn't know was NBC was evaluating them for a third season, and given our ratings for that finale, NBC said, "Oh, they're headed up like a skyrocket." Okay, so they were awarded the third season and twenty episodes, and when the the big director, executive director called and told me and thanked me, you know, for our participation. He told me about the 20 episodes. I said, you guys are crazy. That's too many. I said, you're not going to get 20 solid ghost stories where people are going to tell them (coughs) in a season. I said, you're going to wind up, you're going to, well, what happened was as quick as the ratings went up, they came shooting down, and uh, they were canceled at the 16th episode. And, That's uh, sad because I kind of like the show. You know what I mean? I well, kinda, I liked it when no, people they brought were being them back. They, they, yeah, they, they brought them. They brought them back. They brought it back. So uh, they were given about a year ago. They were given uh, thirteen episodes, right, for a season four. But uh, NBC and Sci-Fi said we want to see all thirteen before you air them. Mm. So they had to make a big gamble and invest their money, uh, the production company and. They did 13 episodes. I guess they were approved, and I think they're going to play this mm-hmm. fall. Uh, but again, I told them, you know, you're stretching it because uh, they need an advisor. Yeah, Marsh and I get Marsh well, and I get a lot a lot of correspondence, and I know of a lot of hauntings out there, but I don't know of hardly anybody who wants to get on TV and talk about it. Right. Exactly. Uh, 
you know, I, I wouldn't have talked about ours back in 1972, 3, 4, 5, 6. I didn't want to talk about it in 2011. Yeah. I mean, my book was supposed to have Catherine's name on it, my daughter's, uh, because I, I feared ridicule. I didn't like skepticism. Uh, and, you know, paranormal is a very murky, murky world. And uh, as, a, as some of the investigators, if any of them are listening, they already know that, because if they come up with some decent evidence, first thing people want to do is debunk it, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's a murky world, and uh, I don't see how they can get 13 good episodes unless they stretch a little bit. Yeah, i, I got to tell you, sir, we had one, or I should be, I'd had one review, and, and the guy gave him good review, or gave him points anyway, <laughs> uh, stars, but he said... You know, I liked the book, liked the way it was written and everything. He said, but I just didn't find it that scary. And I what? just flipped out. Yeah, I went, what? what? You know, this, 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 True Haunting <laughs> was the first book that got uh, uh, over 205 stars. Yeah. And on in parapsychology, and it, and it stayed number one for over two years. And yeah. I had to keep looking over my shoulder. It was very frightening and creepy to me. But it was more because of the 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 creepy psychological stuff. Exactly. You know, that was just creeping up on you, and to me, that's the scariest stuff than the not the gore. I, I, I guess weird. I, it's stuff. true. I guess I was lucky because at the time the bones of that book were written, they were not written for the public, and it was at a time long before they had so many of these horror movies. And Marcia and I, for the most part, we have free TV. So, you know, I came into the paranormal world pretty ignorant, not aware of any of the programs, uh, the acronyms. I didn't have any influences, anything to refer to other than right. what we experienced. Right. So, so I wrote it as we experienced it. And uh, I think I say in the book that I wish it maybe it had, had I opened the closet door and a, and a Freddy Krueger came bouncing out. We probably would have been asleep in the car, and that would have been the end of the book. It would have been two pages, like, what, this house? A monster came out, and we were out of here. We're out of here. But that's not how a true haunting works. It It builds. I was talking to an investigator today, and I said, this is my belief. I believe that you're seeing so many shadow people for only one reason. It's because you're going in and you're taking a snapshot. Right. If you see a shadow person... Get your sleeping bag and stay there. Right. And stay there because as it builds energy, I believe it'll be able to materialize and be vis- visible. But when you come in and they're low on energy, that's when you're going to see the shadow. I mean, Marsha and I saw a solid apparition, and believe me, a solid apparition is as solid as you or I. Uh, I, I, I well, believe it that like lots of people, people have seen solid apparitions. They just didn't recognize it. You know, when you take yep. a picture of a crowd of 100 people, are there 100 really there? <laughs> yeah. True. You know, because... Well, what, well, one part in your book was, was a person that was sitting on the front porch. Why don't you tell them about that? Yeah. It, it, it was strange because it, it happened after our, new, our tenants had moved in. Uh, I came home one day, and it's not unusual at all. I mean, uh, Chicago is an ethnic melting pot. And even when my grandmother took me shopping, 
after we'd walk a half a mile or so, she'd say, let's rest, and we'd sit on the st- steps of someone's building. That was common. Right? Yeah, it was very common. Mm-hmm. So I came home from lunch, and here's this woman, kind of frail and gray, uh, wearing a woolen coat all buttoned up, and it was appropriate because it was a little cool, cool out, sitting on the stairs. And as I bounded up the stairs, she smiled at me, gave me a little bit of a smile, and I walked upstairs. And uh, I think the first time it happened, I told Marcia, yeah, there's no woman sitting on our stairs. The second time it happened was a short time later. I came home for lunch, and there she was again. And I said to Marcia, who the hell's that old woman? So Marcia and I looked out the window, and, of course, she's not there. I figured, well, she must belong to somebody next door, here, or whatever. And this went on a number of times until one morning I'm leaving, and I was late, and I rushed out the front door. And as I got to the landing where it turned and went down, Marcia said, Stop, and she, you know, I'm going to kiss you goodbye. And she came out, and as she, as I embraced her, we both looked down, and here was the old woman staring at us. And it wasn't evil, and there was no thunder sounds or, you know. No, she just kind of half smiled. Wind blowing or anything. She was just staring at us, and. She had gray hair, pulled back. I, I imagined it was in a bun. Uh, I, I don't think she would have worn a ponytail. Uh, she had a black woolen coat buttoned up to the top. And because of the stairs, I couldn't see her shoes. But I, I studied her. I looked at her. And uh, if her shoes were laced, or, or you know, I would have known that this was shoes from the 1890s. But I couldn't date her. You know, Today she'd look like a, an old. She could be walking around today, and she wouldn't look unusual. There was nothing yeah. unusual about her. And she turned away from us and walked into the alcove. And my assumption at that time was that she belongs to our tenants. Except I didn't hear any doors. The, our outer door made a lot of noise because it had blinds attached to it. So I know she didn't go out the outer door. And the inner door would have at least made a sound, and there was no sound. So it was like, that's just strange. And I went to work. And then it was later in the day that when I came home that Marcia had talked to our tenants and found out that she had no place in their life. Yeah, they didn't know who I was talking about. And, and we knew. <clears throat> and then I told Marcia then, I, I, said, I said, next time I see her, I said, I'm going to do exactly what I always do, come out, smile, say hello, bound up the stairs. I'm going to reach out and grab her <laughs> and see what the hell I grab. And mm-hmm. she never showed her. She never showed herself again. Yeah, I mean, I was worried about her. I thought I'd offer a drink of water or find out mm-hmm. if she needs help. You know, maybe she can't make it all the way home. I think, you know, that's where my thoughts were going until we realized that she wasn't real. So, yeah. yeah. It just gives me the that. chills because I don't have a feeling that she was from your house. She's actually from the neighborhood, and she just happens to be haunting that stair. That's yeah. strange. And yeah, you 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 don't know. It's like I tell everybody: yeah. you never get introduced to these things. They, there's no formal introductions. No, and they lie. You know, uh, they want your yeah. energy. They want your whatever. One of, one of the things in true haunting too that I think is really going to stir up some conversation and interest is when we met with what happened with. Uh, with Dan White, who I refer to as Dave, and I'll continue for continuity to refer to him as Dave in my book, uh, in mm-hmm. True Hunting 2. 
43 years later, he pops out, and he, and he says, he re- reads the book, and he realizes he's in it. Well, I couldn't find him because his name was Dan White, and there's only about 10 trillion of them <laughs> in the U.S. and Canada. <clears throat> right. The, strangely, he lived 20 miles away from us, and we used to go to the same restaurant frequently. Isn't that amazing? Uh, yeah. But wow. he did agree to come on Paranormal Witness, and we had a, a reunion that lasted four or five days. And he's French-Canadian, uh, Indian, Mohawk. And uh, he told us about the happenings within the first floor, which are written in the book, which some people are going to find unbelievable. Uh, in fact, they're so unbelievable, I was glad they didn't happen to us. Yeah. Because it was far more active than, than what we experienced. But what I found amazing, and I had a check with a few other of my Native American friends, is I never knew the Indian philosophy uh they're taught from a child about spirits. So in True Hunting 1, I, I make a point of saying Dan's superstitious. We kept everything from him. Dan's superstitious, including his wife, kept everything from him. Don't tell Dan he's superstitious. Uh, the fact of the matter was he had a higher level of understanding than we did. Yeah. And he told me what he was taught from a child, that the interpretation was simple. It was good or bad and if you run into a good spirit it's everyday life it's a lot smarter about it than we were yeah so I, I mean so if, if even even if a spirit touched him if it wasn't painful or frightening it, it's something that they just accept and uh they're taught to recognize demons or negatives and his interpretation was just very very logical is it good or is it bad Right. And when you read my book and you read of his experiences, you're going to say, holy smokes, you know. And it's very difficult. It was difficult for me to realize that, man, now I understand why there's no uh, programs with Native American ghost hunters. Oh, very few. Not no. They have to think that we're silly. Right. Because they believe that spirits exist. That you're gonna you're gonna bump up against them now and then. That if you recognize them, uh, it's okay. That if they're good spirits, I'll give you one highlight in the book. Um, Dan, there's some things that went on between Dan and his wife. His wife became tormented, but and she left him for a bit. And he was living by himself, and he we were gone for the day. He didn't know that. So he was hearing noises upstairs. He assumed Marcia and I were home. And he heard children in the basement, like giggling. And, and uh, So he, he said he opened the door. He looked down in the basement, and he saw these two girls. He said around seven, eight years old, chasing each other and playing, playing and laughing. And they were both wearing white dresses, like communion dresses or something. And he said he, he went down a little further because he thought it was unusual that there was no adult in the house. Could be in a basement. nasty basement. Yeah. Yeah. So he went down. He and he couldn't figure it out. He said, you know, that he didn't think that we would let children play. Oh no, I won't even go there. Play in the basement, but yeah. but but he watched him, and uh, then he came back upstairs, and he just took it. You know, he just took it in stride. Well, some hours later, we were coming home and unloading bags. And he realized we weren't home. Right. And in his estimation, he never mentioned this to me until 43 years later. And he, he, 
I, I said to him, I said, Dan, didn't it freak you out that you saw two children? Marsha and I had never had any indicator of children in that building. And and he said, no. He said, I was watching two happy spirits. Wow. That's the way That's he accepted way it. it. Right. Yeah, it's yeah, a natural yeah. way to look at it. Yeah, he saw, he saw I saw two two happy spirits and uh you know where everybody else would say oh i saw i saw the holy grail and this that to him it was nothing it was, it was two happy spirits uh and, and that's philosophy that the red runs through everything that he relays including being embraced uh well he was embraced i was touched i mean yeah. this, it was a difference yeah this was, yeah, that um, would be. Plus, he he was had acceptance level when you guys were just trying to maintain normalcy. Just got married, starting a family right. in a brand new place, and you don't want to have this kind of thing going on. Especially, I think Marsha it was you that actually knew it as soon as you lived, you moved in. Right. She knew pretty pretty she, quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she she knew out. she certainly wasn't comfortable right away. Yeah. Uh, right away, I felt very uncomfortable, and uh, we, you know, that feeling you're just not wanted, and it was got stronger and stronger. It, 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 there was no doubt that they did not want us there, except that you know, eventually, it turns into from not wanted to I got gotcha. you. There are some strange things. I mean. Uh... That Marsha and I just had found hard to believe because we were, we were so ignorant and blind. Um, Dave and Ellen, as I call them, our first lieutenants. His name's actually Dan, but I'll call him Dave and Ellen. They moved in, and, and they were also like us. They were kicked out of their place because they had a newborn. Ellen had had the same obstetrician as Marsha in a city of millions. Right, a weird. She yeah. was. In the same hospital, in the same hospital as Marcia, which was a little-known hospital outside of Chicago in Skokie. Babies were a week apart, and they were a week apart. So when they came to us and said, "You know, we'd like to see the open apartment," after Myra got out, we accepted them right away. They were in our dilemma, our saying, "You know, yeah, you can come here." You know, uh, but yet, well, make it clear. But yet, we never met. No, no, we didn't we know. Never met. We didn't know them. It was just not at the doctor's office or the hospital. Or it was total coincidence. But right. what we what we didn't know is Marcia. I was told from experienced landlords, never make friends with your tenant. So keep an arm's length, which is what I attempted to do. <clears throat> now Marcia didn't. I no, mean, why make friends with everybody? Yeah, she immediately started a coffee <laughs> clutch with what. But as far as we all knew, everybody was happy. Which was not true. No. When we talked to Dan 42 years later, Dan said his wife started bugging him to move. But before they were there, hardly three months. Now, I, I have to say this. I, ne- I never get this in because we always run out of time. But that was them leaving was singularly the, the uh, most crushing thing because not only was she my friend, and that was special to me because I was in a city where I knew nobody, and this was great. Somebody my age, we had a lot of similarities, and it was great having a friend. But there was an element 
of psychological safety. Although, what were they going to do? But you know how it is. Safety in numbers or, or I had yeah. somebody to run to, not being alone. Uh, there was that feeling. So when they said they were leaving, I mean. No, 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 no. You're, you're jumping way ahead, okay? <laughs> no, you started the, the, it. <laughs> no, no. The point the point I was making was that while, while we were having, while you were having coffee and Ellen was always happy. Oh, yeah. We had no idea that she was putting pressure on her husband to get the hell out of the building. We never saw that coming at all. No, never. And, and then what well, happened is she she left him, and and we were told that she went to visit her mother, which wasn't true. So whatever torment she was experiencing, she didn't share with her quote-unquote superstitious husband, and she didn't share it with Marsha. She just took off and, and uh, with the baby. Eventually, of course, well, she came done. back. Well, in that setting, though, because you have to realize, you know, we're talking at this time, was it 1970? Yeah, 1971. And, you know, back then, you know, you guys had the first televised exorcism. This stuff was new, new. Uh, We had the spiritualist movement and stuff like that, but to have really honest-to-goodness documented haunted house, uh, you know, was very strange. So it wasn't... Yeah, it didn't exist. It wasn't in our consciousness at that time. No, no. Well, not it in was, that way, <clears throat> not in a public way, anyway. Not in a public way, and you just, it was one of those things you didn't talk about. Oh, it, it was awful. I, I mean, mean it, it caused me, I, I don't want to say uh, anything that negative, but I, I, I'm, I, I, call, I consider myself a fallen Catholic <laughs> because what happened at Campbell's, caused me to say the hell with you as far as the, the Catholic organization. Uh, they basically, uh, they knew what we were experiencing. I know that they knew. Oh, yeah. They wouldn't come back and help us. They insulted me by saying, uh, when I went to see them, and almost pleaded after calling, when the initial house blessing didn't fly, and his holy water dispenser broke, the priest fled in terror. I know that now. Oh, yeah. I didn't understand it then because I wasn't looking for anything paranormal. I thought that he just goofed up and he was having stage fright or something. But I went back and I called him, and he kept refusing to come back, and finally I figured i got to see him in person. Uh, you know, I've always found that a lot of times people will be disagreeable over the phone, but when you go see him in person, it's much easier. So I went to see him in person, and he just basically lambasted me, you know, and said that me and Marcia should seek psychological help. <laughs> Thanks. And uh, so I, I completely lost it, and uh, the air turned blue. Well, they blamed you for mm-hmm. this strange Well, he blamed activity. me for swearing at him, that's for sure. And he uh, <laughs> he, he, he tore up our, our, our parishioner's number and told me we were expelled mm-hmm. from the church and not to set foot on church grounds and, uh because I called him a few names, and uh, and I meant it. And I told Marcia, at, at that young age where I was a, a devout Catholic, I was an altar boy, I knew Latin, I knew all the rituals, uh, I believed. And it was like, well, how can you believe in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit and that Jesus, I mean, if you read the New Testament, Jesus expelled demons everywhere and, and bad spirits. Yeah. How do they just decide they're not going to follow that part of the Bible? 
they weren't and, and and not help their their flock. Uh, so I was just I, I lost it. I I, uh, I had no faith in in, in uh, the church and in Chicago. I've had a lot of people who write me who are from New York and, and cities, Boston, and places that are uh, are like this. The churches are like franchises. So you're a registered parishioner, and I couldn't go to another Catholic church because I wasn't a parishioner. So their, their priests couldn't visit me. Very territorial. <clears throat> but, you know, even me who wasn't aware, I didn't know Ed had done all this. So I used to take the baby and go once a day, and I'd go sit on the church steps. It was just, you know, half an hour of feeling safe and normal and just getting out. And I would go take, even in the colder weather, I'd put blankets. I had a buggy, not a stroller. So I'd put her in there in blankets, and we'd go and just sit on the church steps and just sort of bask in the normal, safe place. Until a nun stopped and looked down at me with very cold eyes and very sternly said, you're not welcome here. And I just started crying. I just, I don't know if it was out of frustration or, or, you know, what, but I didn't understand that. How could you turn me away? I'm not hurting anybody. I just want to sit here. In fact, I felt like I should, you know, a couple of times I thought I'm going to go inside and sit in the in the peacefulness of being inside a church and just kind of be with God. And I somehow instinctively knew I shouldn't do that. And I now know that they probably would have kicked me right out. But I well, didn't know that. Well, I'm, I'm oh, not so sure. Yeah. Marsha and I Marcia and I debated this in the book because I, I, yeah. did give, I, I did allow her her voice, and it's in her voice that I wrote. Uh, so... She tells this this event, and I told her realistically, okay, and I mean this, I don't mean this to be comedic. Uh, I'm not sure if they had like a wanted poster up on us, uh, you know, to keep us out of the church grounds, or whether the nun was just being mean, because I, don't know I, I, I told her that, you know, a nun, nuns were, in those years, were, were strict, you know, and if she she thought you were loitering or, or cluttering the stairs, she'd tell you to get your ass out. Uh, uh, she wouldn't say it in those words. Yeah, no. Uh, but I, I said it may have been just a loitering policy that she was following. I see. I just didn't feel that. I know he says that, but I just felt it was directed at me. Well, how else would you feel? Yeah, it, well, it was like you're not first, and then when I found well, out Ed had been there ahead of me. And she knew, she knew what oh, happened. Yeah, I'm like, dang, okay. she got me kicked off the church steps. And so well, I was <laughs> got you banned from the church. Well, and, but, yeah. you know, what, this is the thing is that uh, I know uh, you guys, like I do, I'm Greek Orthodox, but it's a lot like Catholic. You hold the church sacred. You really believe. Yes. I believe what the Bible says, and I believe that God is a love and all that. So, Yes. When I was going to be a nun, like we all want to be nuns or whatever, I was sent myself to Catholic uh, school, and my mother said, you're not going to like it. I said, Mom, I really want to serve God. I love God. Let me go. And so she let me go. And the nuns were mean. Yeah. And I wasn't <laughs> expecting because I thought they were like holy things or holy people. I know. And I thought they should be sweet and full of love, so... 
One was up there railing one time in class. She was screaming <laughs> head off, her head off about, we're all going to hell and sinners and all this other stuff. And then I should have known better, but uh, then at the end she stopped, you know, screaming, and she said, Is there, are there any questions? And I looked around, but nobody raised their hand. I should have known, but I was just too innocent. So I raised my hand, and she looked at me, and so did all the other kids. And she said... <laughs> And you and you have a question, you know. And I went, yes. And she said, what? I said, what is it? I said, what does this have to do with God? And she came over and hit me so hard with that rule. She shot <laughs> oh, the hell out of No, I could tell you stories. Me. I was traumatized. I anyway, could tell you stories. Sad. I'm not a nun. But anyway. No, I would not be one either. I, I was a street no. kid. Between, between my mother and my father, my mother would not divorce my father in those years because she was Catholic. My father yeah. was a hopeless psychopathic alcoholic that used to beat me, and and oh. and my mother and the and my uh, little brother, and I wound up living a lot on the street. And the police picked me up so many times that there was no DCFS in those years. But the police right. got tired of, of of seeing this nine ten year old kid hanging out with the teenagers at ten twelve o'clock at night. And they kept take, shagging me home, and finally, uh, they took me away from my parents. They took me to court, and they put me in a Catholic institution. And it was run by nuns. I mean, there were priests and seminarians there, but it was separated into halls. It was called Maryville Academy, and you wound up in a hall with sixty other boys, and slept in you know huge bunks. And uh, I got there. I was a I was a snotty street kid, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, this place ain't going to hold me, and nobody's going to tell me what to do and all of that crap. These nuns were like ninjas, all right? <laughs> yeah. They beat, they, they beat the living crap nightmare. out of you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they beat the living. They knew how to hurt you with a comb. They could <laughs> take a comb. Oh, yeah, and they could hit you with a giant rosary. They could hit you with a yardstick. <laughs> they, could grab, they, they could grab you in places that you wouldn't believe you have skin in and hurt the <laughs> hell out of you. And uh, I learned I very, very it, quickly that, no, I ain't messing with these. Don't mess with the nuns. Yeah, don't mess with the nuns. That's for sure. I no. got out of there. Yeah, I mean, when I, I first saw the movie, if, no. <laughs> if there's anybody old enough out there that saw the movie The Blues Brothers, there's this initial scene yeah. where they go see the nun and... <laughs> Uh, one of them, Jake, makes a, uh, he says a swear word, and she starts whacking him. I yeah. went right through that. That, I, I, that happened to me, except I, I was only like 10, 12 years old. I said the uh, the bad word, and, man, she started whacking on me. And I'm, I I said, leave me alone, you crow. I called her a crow. <laughs> called her a crow? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're going to hell. Yeah, I said, you crow. And th- that's all I had to say was, wow, she hit me some more. Uh, yeah. It, you uh, this yeah. in the movie, really. Because this is all what it's all about. It's just like, uh, but, you know, there's also good parts of everything. So we're not down in the Catholic Church. We're just no, saying this is no. all oh, to, No, to, today, let me tell yeah, you. I make groceries. <laughs> today, yeah, one of the things, one of the, this is true. <laughs> one of the things I thank God for is going to Maryville for those years. It's safe. From fifth to eighth grade. Yeah, because they taught me everything. I mean, I, I, by the time I left there, I knew my Latin. I was an altar boy. I uh, they taught me how to achieve. They taught me how to swim. I was lifeguard right. certified. How to box. How to play baseball. How to play basketball. 
how to how to lose with dignity, how to win yeah. with humility. They taught me everything, and it saved my life. Yes. Had I been left on the street, I would have went in certainly a different direction. I was a great thief at eight, nine years old. Uh, Don't be telling people that. Well, <laughs> you know, statute of limitations. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have uh, Archbishop Ron has uh, just uh, got into the chat, and he's listening to us, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, your Excellency, I'm very, very sorry. We're sorry, Your Excellency. <laughs> forgive, forgive me, I'm my Lord, I have sinned. I really, my He's our friend. He, know, he knows I that know by he now. Is. He's our good friend. I know, I know. Uh, our Archbishop Ron is. I said, man, he, we're busted. Yeah, no, he knows. He, we think the the world of this man. He gives his life yeah, almost literally. Well, Archbishop Ron probably knows those nuns are really are mean. I mean, they go through some kind of training school. <laughs> Would you stop already? <laughs> they're like the, they're like the, uh, uh, the Navy <laughs> SEALs, for Christ's sake. The paramilitary, uh, that's what's going on. i got to go get my ruler. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all been hit by, I don't think they hit Marsha, Mar- Mar- they hit us, but did they hit you? No, and That's you know, right. I I would have liked to. I thought about that at one time myself. I really did. I think we all do. And I thought because of my love for God and all things yeah. godly, I thought that I wanted to be a nun. Also, I would have never made it because <laughs> number one, I'm too short for anybody to take seriously, and number two, I just I do believe and doing everything with love and kindness. And so I right. would have been a terrible nun. <laughs> yeah, because I, I really, I really do, would, don't think you should take spirituality away from a kid or their belief or any no. of that. So I would be doing the same thing. I'd be doing Play-Doh stuff and well, little felt, little uh, little nativity scenes with felt and the, I, and the black thing. That's, that oh, yeah. I could tell you a story that probably maybe only the archbishop is going to be able to appreciate, but okay. I was a, I was an altar boy in the old days of the Latin Mass, and of course we tasted all the priest's wine in in the sacristy, uh, and one priest had wine that was more like Jim Beam. I swear it was very <laughs> very strong, and he liked a lot of it. He had the biggest cruets, and. Uh, there were points in the mass where he'd hold his right arm out with with his chalice and you'd fill it with the cruet. And us altar boys, or a group of us, we'd all dare each other, okay, to see how much we could tease him. So he'd stick his right hand out to get some wine, and I would give him like two or three drops. I'd just go tilt a little tip, you know. And then he'd pull the chalice back, look inside, his face would get a little bit red, and he'd put his right arm out again. (laughs) Then I'd give him a little more. And he'd pull his arm back, he'd look at it, and now his face would really get red. And he'd put his arm out and he'd sort of jerk it at me, like I'm going to hit you with the damn chalice. <laughs> and then we'd give him the wine. <laughs> You're bad. <laughs> I can't believe he made it out alive. Yeah. That's <laughs> well, uh, an absolute no, true that... story. But he never got yeah, mad I... at me. In fact, he'd, he'd tip me. Uh, he was the only priest who would actually tip us. Uh, because we could let him flub his Latin, we gave him the proper responses. You know, he would just mumble because yeah. he'd be half half under the weather. And right. uh, that's a true story, Archbishop. <laughs> <laughs> you 
you know, but I will. I do have to say this. This is something I believe with everything that I am. They, everybody says, "How did you make it out of there?" Because I guess today, to people that think we're normal, you're never normal after that. That changes you forever. But that I believe how we got out was just because we really both are faith. And I just knew, somehow I knew that God wasn't going to desert me. And no matter how bad it got, no matter whatever reason, we were supposed to go through that. Now today, Ed and I believe uh, that we were put through that so that we would be ready for now because we've helped we've been able to help so many people and pull other people that are living in fear and and get them some help or at least let them know well, they're not alone I'm going to cut you off I know we we've learned <laughs> we you know we one of the things we learned is to appreciate the resources of today that we didn't yeah. have so That's I look true. around and I value Yes. Some of these, I mean, Archbishop Fale is out there, and I'm joking with him, but I can't imagine a more courageous man. And, I, you know, I wish I could have called him in in 1970. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, today there yeah. are people with courage, and, and he's got a whole organization that's actually worldwide. I, I mean, uh, the, the resources today are amazing. And, I mean, Marsha and I kind of feel it's our responsibility. Yes. I get a lot of emails and messages from people, my readers. Uh, I've got this little occurrence or that little occurrence, and we point them in a direction where we know they can get help and uh, something that we couldn't get in 1970. So we value we, we, we value what, what's out there in the paranormal community. Or hold their hand. Sometimes that's all they need. They just need someone to listen and not ridicule them, um, to believe them. Sometimes they just need to know they're not alone. Somebody cares. And, you know, whatever we can do. And we're not kidding about that. I I really, I remember. I remember how it felt. And I remember what we went through. And I don't wish that on anyone. And I always say my worst enemy, I wouldn't wish that on because it just takes away everything. It takes away your dignity. It can take away your beliefs. It takes away a lot of them. Now, it never took away my belief in God. It never took away my faith. But it did take away my belief in what's safe. And life yeah, isn't comfort. that Yeah, yeah. You it, find life out is not mo- that if, Yeah, oh. you find out you're, oh, mo- yeah. you're mortal. When I found out that I was a mortal person, that yeah. somebody could take your life or something could happen. It's quite yes. a low. You're never quite the same after that. You you change in a no. uh, a certain way, you know, more cautious and, you know, and all that other stuff. So um, so we're talking about, you know, these evil entities that were haunting. I think there are many different things uh, because yeah. I was creeped out by, by reading the book, and I, I really felt that some of it was, uh, okay, some of it would be like a haunting presence or something like that if somebody lived there. Then I had other feelings that it was actually demonic right. and uh, that it was, uh, you know, something very bad, especially, you know, 
I hesitate to bring him up, but that one freak from the cellar and the, with all his magazines and paper, I feel Definitely. like you know he turned he turned <clears throat> yeah. into a demonic thing. I'm I'm yeah. not sure what the rules are spiritually, what happens, you know, but I think that was like that. And uh, I wanted to ask, have you ever uh, seen anybody that was possessed or seen any uh, thing like that? Well, looking I, back, I, yes. <laughs> I, I have seen someone who was possessed. I chose not to stay for the exorcism. Right. Uh, but when I saw what a possessed person can look like, an adult male, it, it uh, and I, I don't scare it that easy, but the eyes that I saw were, they were looking through me like I was a piece of meat, something that they were going to devour. And uh, I... I was offered to stay for the exorcism, and I said, no, thank you. Uh, I, I can't even, you know, I can't believe what an exorcist uh, is made of Right. That, that wants to take that risk and face that. I mean, you're facing something that's not the boogeyman. It's 1,000, 2,000 years old. Sometimes, it's smart. Yeah. It's smarter than you. Right. It knows what buttons to push. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very, very powerful. It can harm you. Physically, and no, I wouldn't want to see an exorcism. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, like you know, and I admire, I admire anybody who does that work. It's a special calling. Yes. You, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to get it by paying twenty two dollars and getting that certificate off the web, because a demon, frankly, will take that certificate and wipe their ass with it. Uh, well, in plain English, all right. No. Uh, it takes a special calling. Well, they and, think it's uh, funny because that, that reminds me of another book I read of yours now. This creeped me out so much that I had to ask, the, ask you a couple questions. It was about Banished. Right. And I was reading it, so then I had that weird feeling again. There's a ring of truth to this. So I asked Ed, I said, Ed, is this a true story? And then I also said, I'm not going to name the the... I can't even say it because it's frightened me. Yeah, he's a true. It's a, that's a true he's demon. He's a real demon. Yeah, he's a real demon, and yes. his personality is taken from history. Right. Uh, yes, that's and, what I and I wanted to display. I wrote that book for a reason. I hope. I hope people walk away with a better faith in God. Right. That's my summary. Yes. That's my. That's what I intended to do. But I also wanted to show people that demons don't just spit pea soup and scream at you. Right. They seduce you. And in this case, my, my poor father gets seduced by the intelligence of the demon. It's amazing. He knows dead languages. He does this. It sucks him in, and it starts to affect his mind a little bit. Nice. And yeah. that's what demons can do to, to the layman, okay? Not to an exorcist. The exorcist knows better. He's not going to entertain conversation. But, yeah, I, I've had, uh, I had one prison chaplain, Catholic, call me from uh, L.A. and asked me, how did I find out some of the stuff that was in there? And he asked me a whole series of questions. Oh, you did? Pretty, okay. And, oh, yeah. and, but then I got to ask him. <laughs> I, I said, as a prison chaplain, I, I'm a big believer that a lot of your demons are definitely riding along with some of these people that wind up getting your John Wayne Gacy's and people like that. And so I asked him, I said, do, do you know when you walk down and you're counseling and offering your services are there eyes that you look into that you know your words are going to fall short, you're going to be wasted, that this person has something else? And he said, absolutely. He said, yeah. there are times when he runs into something 
that he's not going to, you know, there's a lot of demons in prison. Yeah, there's a buffet for them. And, sure. uh, you know, he, he, he basically said, yeah, and he, he wanted to know where I got the idea from, and, and we we talked about that. Uh, and it, 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 it made me feel proud that I, uh, I had struck that nerve with a troop member of clergy. Yeah. Is that uh, something? And, you know, but, you know and then I, but I, but I get complaints. I get complaints, too. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I've had some people write me, and, and because, of, because of the history, uh, I, I portray the priests like they should be portrayed. Uh, the Catholic Church has never approved of, let's say, homosexuality. Uh, the priests reflect that, okay? So I've gotten a few emails, and they say, you know, you're this or you're that because of that. It ain't, you know, it ain't me. I'm a writer. I, I'm going to write honestly. You know, and I, I tell them, you know, that I wrote Death Walker, and I'm really not a vampire either, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so there's, there's, the book is surrounded by facts and history. Well, he had one one get mad at him because the demon was so bad. And he said, was that your beliefs? And I said, no, that's not my beliefs. A demon is bad. It's their beliefs. What do you think? The demon's not good. Well, you know, he, uh, they might be saying, okay, this is a creepy thing that I was yeah. watching in you know, one of the shows one time, and this guy said he died, you know, during a car accident. And he said that he knew he was in hell, but he was sort of in a, uh, a weird area where he uh, he could hear his family praying. But on the other hand, he said there was a huge demon sitting on a pile of gold coins. Mm-hmm. He said it was. It looked like it was made out of gold. It had horns. It was. He said it was evil, and he mm-hmm. said he was, look, was looking for him. They couldn't quite see him because the people were praying for him. And when he said it, I mean, I get chills right now thinking of it, that they couldn't really get a beam on him because of the prayers of others. You know, right. but he was looking for him. And then it came with the gold and the money and the drugs and the, you know, that it is sitting there like that. Well, you know, to, to me, that's, to me, in our, especially in this society, it's the thing that people really don't recognize. A demon's work is very easy today. I mean, you've got pornography on the web. You've got lottery tickets in every gas station. You can gamble. You've got casinos. You know, I think there's 200 of them in Oklahoma. Uh, every single vice, drinking, drugs. You can get illegal drugs here in Springfield a lot quicker than you can get your prescription filled. Yeah. Well, everything is there, you know, and that's... The, the with seduction the de- of it. The yeah. de- demons don't come at you with a roar and scare the hell out of you. They offer you something that you want, and and they gradually seduce you and and change your behavior, and then you're screwed. Once they get in there, uh, it's much like I, I told somebody about Ouija boards. Uh, you know, you can argue Ouija board, and, and it, only in this country is it sold as an actual toy. But there's only one purpose to a Ouija board, and a lot of people sure. use the Ouija board, and they'll argue with me. Well, I was able to contact my Uncle George through the Ouija board. My answer, bullshit, all right? What you did is you opened up some method of communication, and what I picture on the other side of the Ouija board is a prison phone. Okay, now if the warden said, we're in the yard and it's full of 200 prisoners, and the warden says, okay, you guys can use the phone, one phone, all right? Who do you think is going to use that phone first? 
Yeah. The biggest, baddest guy in the yard. <laughs> all right. Well, right. that's when you open a, a, a when you open a path to the Ouija. Who do you think is going to answer you? The strongest spirit on there, and you know, you want to talk to your Aunt Mary. I'm your Aunt Mary. They're going to sucker you in, and they're, and they're not going to say boo. Okay, I'm scaring you away. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to manipulate you. They're going to want an invitation. And, uh, you know, I, there, there is a woman who has a book out talking how to use the Ouija and how to prepare it and how to treat it. No, I, I don't ever want to be on a radio program with her because it'll, get, it'll, <laughs> no. get, it'll get ugly. It, it'll yeah, be ugly because... It's uh, not a good thing. It's not To me... Uh, whatever it is, I can't play with it, and I don't, I don't choose to. But when I was a teenager, when they really first came out, I'm talking, this was like 67. Yes. Yeah, 67, I remember. something like that. Yeah. yeah, me and my sisters were doing that, and something did happen. Well, first uh, we channeled Jimi Hendrix. I don't even know if Jimi Hendrix was playing yet, but he showed up in the yeah. He wasn't dead yet, so it was odd, okay? So anyway, and then a lot of bizarre things happened to us because we were all uh, teenagers, so I'm sure it was poltergeist activity and stuff like that. But we never did it again because uh, it was almost like, this is the way I interpret it. My sisters didn't interpret it like that. The way I interpreted it was, was just waiting. You yeah. know what I mean? Like wait, just waiting by the phone, just like it just... Uh, it's just waiting for you to do something. It only it only makes it, it only makes sense that on the other yeah. side, if you have if you have twenty spirits, it's going to be the dominant spirit that's going to take control. It's not going to be the the weak benign spirit that's going to get control. So you're kind of playing a little bit of of, of uh, par, paranormal Russian roulette when you do that. And anyone yeah. who believes that it's a good thing and does it on a regular basis, I think they're out of it. They're crazy. Uh, well, here's no. the here's the thing that I want to get in. People yeah. believe. I think a lot of people believe falsely believe that demons or demonic or malevolent spirits will go after bad guys. They want the bad guys like them. And although that's true, because the bad guys are easy, they're like, "Come on in." But what they really go after are the good people. They want your life. They want your energy. They want your soul. And Good so you're not safe if you don't be careful. So no. preaching to people, please be careful. Don't invite these things in. Don't do things that open up that window, that door, whatever you want to call it, uh, that portal. There's all kinds of names. Uh, don't do that because you probably won't know how to close it. And even if you do, you don't know what came in. It's little things. I saw one the other day, and I I, I think I mentioned it to Marsha, but I, I didn't mention it as as I as I witnessed it as a my, as, in my writer's mind. Okay, mm-hmm. I had to sit in the car because I I can't do a lot of walking now because of blood clots. So I'm sitting in the car, and I'm sitting low in the car, and across from me, this woman comes with a cart, and she goes down pretty far. And she loads her groceries, and she left her purse in the cart and drove away. So I see the purse in the cart, and before I can do anything, a fellow is going to his car, and he sees her purse. 
Well, he walks over, and now I'm waiting. That oh boy, I, you know, I'm uh, I, I'm thinking I might have to get involved. Uh, you know, I, God, I, I, I got a cane. I'll clock that sucker. You know, uh, but I'm, I'm watching to see what he does. Well, he goes to the cart, he picks up the purse, and for just a brief moment, you know, two three seconds, I could see the wheels turning, where the voice was telling him, "Just keep it, just keep it," and he fought it. He turned around. Walked back into the, the grocery store, turned it in, and uh, I thought, "Good for you." Yeah. And he yeah. came out, yeah. and then when he came out, I sat up in my seat so he saw me, and I gave him a thumbs up. Uh, he did the right thing. Oh, but that's, that's the good. that's the little seduction. Yeah. Very good. That, yeah, that's you know, what my they daughter do. went. When my my daughter went up to a ATM one time, and her kids were in the car, and I know she didn't have much money, but. <clears throat> The, she said tons of money came out of that ATM. She asked for a 20 and she must have gotten hundreds of dollars. It wow. just came flying out of there like she hit the lotto. Yeah. So uh, she actually took it into the bank. And I told her, I said, that's why my Uncle Louis says I have a little larceny in my heart. But <laughs> I told, when we were broke, when the kids were on top, we're on top ramen, you know, and had nothing. I don't know. I would have seen that as a gift. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know it's not right, but what I'm saying is it flew right out of the ATM right to me. Why shouldn't that be a gift? Yeah. I get what you're saying. I told her. I told her I I felt bad because uh, I don't know how she turned out so good when I'm such a bad example with where I just said. Oh no, you're not. What I'm saying is that when we were just poverty stricken and broke, but you know what? People turn it back in anyway, and I think those are good people. Even yes. though they're suffering, they're still not going to take it. And I think that's a, it's an awesome thing to do. I just, you know, what does it for me? <laughs> I shouldn't even admit this. Um, it's guilt. I I used to put my milk in the bottom of the cart because my cart was always full. So I always put mm-hmm. the milk down below. And I remember one time I did that, and I'm rushing, and I've got a kid on one hip, and I'm loading the groceries on the thing, and finally I get through it, and I pay for it, and I get out to the car, and I look down, and the milk is still in the bottom of the cart. My heart dropped. So I unloaded my groceries into the car, took baby cart and milk back into the store, (laughs) and paid for it. I said, here, I can pay for this. And I paid for it and then walked out. But the thing is, I just knew that if I could have left with a gallon of milk, you know, I buy groceries there every week, I overpay. But the thing is, I knew I would have felt so much guilt by the time I got home. Well, yeah, because you you remember it for eternity. You know, that's the thing. Because when you do something wrong, it's almost like it it engraves itself in your brain. It's so hard to get rid of it. Let me tell you, though, Jared, that's something that's wrong with our world today. Because Marsha and I will debate this, Mm. but I'm a survivor. Uh, You know, I I survived as a kid on the street, and I'd survive tomorrow if there was martial law. Uh, And I know what survival is. And when you put people in a position where they have to survive, that's when things can get ugly, and that's when there's there's compromises. Because as human beings, we're not going to fade away. I mean, like a lot of these cities now are passing laws where you can't feed the hungry or the homeless. 
60, 70, 80 cities have done this, big cities, Orlando or in San Antonio, Dallas. Well, they seem to think that if you don't feed the homeless, the homeless are going to go away and go somewhere else. Like maybe there's another city where there's a where there's you know a soup kitchen city or something. There's not. These people are going to survive, and you either give to them today. I mean, when Marcia and I see someone in need, that we truly you know that isn't tweaking. When we really know they're in need, right. we give them whatever we have and whatever right. we can because. The next time you're going to see that person is in your bedroom when they break in, no, and they're not—they're right, right. not going to—they're not going to be asking no, for an egg salad just, sandwich. You know, no, it's just an example <laughs> that they people are are starving. They will be desperate. That's all. It's just—it's creating a, a terrible, desperate situation when you've got hunger. Well, like Maslow's hierarchy. You have the altruism at the top, but at the bottom, if you're not eating and you're poverty-stricken, you haven't got any clothes to wear, uh, you're barely right. getting your needs met, it's almost like it takes away part of your your generosity and humanity. This doesn't happen for everybody, though. You know, like Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa is a, is a good example <laughs> I of wish. Giving, giving, yeah. giving away. You know, no matter how broken, poverty-stricken, they could not buy Mother Teresa at all. She wouldn't no. they give her a Cadillac. She'd sell it and buy shawls with it for the, the cold. Or, You picked the right example because I followed Mother Teresa from the time I was a child when she worked in leper yeah. colonies and she never, yeah. collect, never got leprosy. She thumbed her nose at the Pope and she started her own order to help people. Yeah. Uh, she was a she, she was absolutely a saint that walked on earth at the same time that I'm living. She gave me complete faith in the fact that yeah, the saints are real, and you and they're here. I believe that. Yeah. And, and, and uh, you know, I pray to Mother Teresa frequently. Yeah, I mean, I think of her, and then I also miss her. You know, because yes. I felt like yes. she was one of those holding down the fort. And yes, you know, we need. No, I've got her book on my that. nightstand. Uh, it's got a hundred uh-huh. sayings by Mother Teresa is on my nightstand. Right. Uh, <clears throat> but this true. I remember when I was seventeen and on my own, and I had a little kitten, and found and it made its way to my door, and so the kitten and I were both, you know, just trying to live. <clears throat> and I ran out of food, ran out of everything, so I went to the local little local mom and pop store, and I. I, I even hate to admit this. I stole a can of tuna fish for the cat. And I was so guilt ridden that as soon as I got paid, which wasn't much, I ran back to that store and I gave them the money. So, what is this for? And I said, Well, I took a can of tuna fish a few days ago for my cat. And cause they didn't have cat food in there. And so I got the tuna. And he said, I know you did, but I figured you must have needed it. Yeah. And oh I just God, started crying. I oh I felt God. so horrible. Yeah, it was like, oh my God. So I paid, and that was the last time I ever did anything like that. Then I came along and I introduced her to the cheeseburger. And the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that the cat was the tuna was for the cat. I could go hungry, <laughs> but not my cat. And it was That's just right. like, oh God. The animals you know, need to eat. Kind of <laughs> no, I've had a few well, people ask why, me that's about. That's why I brought it up because there's certain circumstances that 
yeah. they bring out in the worst in us, and it's happening in the world right now. There's certain stressors that have triggered everybody, you know, yes. and I hope, but you know what? I always believe the good wins out anyway, no matter what it looks like right now, the good will win. Yes. And you know what the, what the trick is here? The trick is we have to forgive ourselves. God's already forgiven yeah. us. He's, so, he's, so, so true. Yeah, he, he's up there giggling at me. You know, I mean, he's already forgiven me a long time ago. The minute I did it, he forgave me. But I didn't forgive myself for a long time, yeah. even after I paid for it. The guilt hang, hung with me for a long time. The thing is, we have to forgive ourselves. And that's harder than people think. Is It's something you have to struggle with sometimes. Well, it's actually, it's like being critical of others. That means you're really critical of yourself. So you have to yes. really lay off of all that and then uh, forgive yourself and everybody. And, you know, some of it, you know, um, there's things that have happened that I feel this one thing is unforgivable. And uh, I really have struggled with it. And somebody helped me because I, I would put it on there. I put it on the Facebook page. I said one time, I said, how do you forgive the unforgivable? And people said a lot of things because you know, you know what we're supposed to be doing, and I am a Christian, so I'm supposed to be doing a certain thing. One person had it right and said, sometimes you can't, but God, let God take care of it. That's right. You know, and I went, that's right. Just let God that's take right. care of it because it's too big for me. Right. You know, and I don't have to have that perfect... Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not really kind of. Uh, I'm more of a moody person. <laughs> well, that's okay. I don't know. Oh, wow. I like to be lovely you know, all yeah, the time. A, a, a woman that's moody. A woman that's moody. Holy <laughs> smokes! Wow. Oh, he's in trouble so now. Happy. I'm kind of miserable. I don't know. <laughs> you are not. You know that's the thing. But that's I do get thing. weird. I get weird once in a while. Go ahead. We all do. But see that God made us all different. We're we're so and we're not supposed to be perfect. We're here to learn and perfection yeah. is heaven. This is not heaven by any stretch of the imagination. So we have to give ourselves a break. I think as long as we learn from our mistakes, as long as we continue to evolve, to grow I, you know, God's okay with us, and you're right. There are times you just have to say, listen, I can't. I can't deal with this. I've struggled and struggled, and it's it's overwhelming. Here, you mm-hmm. take it, and you just give yeah, it to it him. And, and, yeah, I mean, that's what he wants you to do. I mean, not for every yeah. little thing. You've got to no. you know, own up to your own mistakes sometimes. But, yeah, right. yeah, when it's too big, when it's too overwhelming, then it's time to just say, I can't do this. I've tried. I want to, but, yeah. you know, I can't. Yeah, because I tried and I wanted to, but I, I just wasn't, uh, it was to my detriment, so I had to let go and let God take care of it. And yes. It, it really and, you helped. know, it, that's kind of how it was back then, too, for me, because mm-hmm. I got to the point where I had thoughts that I shouldn't have had, and I, 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 in my heart, I wished them ill because I was so angry they were, that they were torturing us, and I, I'm not that kind of person, so that felt really bad to me, and now yeah. we know that's wrong, but I didn't know back then. I didn't have anybody telling me that you know 
don't do that. We should, you know, they were once people. They deserve respect. But the way I felt was they're torturing me. How can I respect them? (laughs) You know, it was that kind of thing. And my thinking got messed up. I mean, I wasn't thinking like myself. And I hated that. I hated that about myself. I hated that I felt that in my heart because, you know, that's just not me. I hate the fact that Ed was always angry all the time because that wasn't yeah. him. Well, it was a constant um, pressure. It's like being yes. under pressure constantly from an invisible source. And that pressure, it's like being oppressed by if somebody's in the room, you can't stand them, and you're walking right. on eggshells all the time. It's a constant uh, pressure. Yes. Yeah, and it it wears on you. It, it, it does. Uh, yeah. You don't sleep well. Uh they enter your dreams. You know, I mean, we didn't know if, if something, if my wallet was moved away, I didn't know if, did they do it? Or I'd turn around and say, Marcia, what did you do with my wallet? Yeah, doubt, doubt, doubt. Then she'd snap yeah. back at me. I didn't touch her wallet, you right. know. And they know how to manipulate you and play those games. And uh, Right. Unless you recognize it. And uh, I certainly didn't as a young man. I behaved poorly. It was the exorcist and the psychic that actually altered my behavior yeah, and told me to have some compassion and to pray because uh, yeah. I didn't know what I was dealing with. I I, uh, right. I just didn't. And I had no feel for uh, the power or how they were they were playing us like the radio for about six, eight months. I uh, mean, you don't, people don't understand, and Ed doesn't even understand, that even today it affects my thinking, but for years and years and years, I lived in fear that they were going to find me. They're, and if I thought about, oh, them, I was going to ask bring you that, but I was going to yep. ask you that, but I really didn't want to say it out loud. No, ask I was, anything. I was going to. I was going to ask you that. Do you, did you ever fear that they would uh, they followed you, or did you have any? Did you move the? Did anything happen at the next place? No, nothing happened at the no. next place but my own fears. Um, I gave yeah. in to fear, which is something I had to learn to, to not do. But, it, yes, they put that in you, and you're already conditioned. And I didn't know if spirits had to stay where they were, were they bound. Some are, some aren't. But as far as I didn't know, so I'm thinking they hate me because you feel that way. You feel they hate you, and they're after you. And so, yes, for many, many years, I felt so we couldn't is, move far enough. So what is, we kept okay, further so and further and further. So what is left behind? A thought? A will? What is left behind? That's a, what is it, ghost? A thought or a will? Or what is, what is that? I... You know, there's all kinds of theories. Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of theories. And my theory of our house, just our house, was that they, yes, they were all spirits. I do believe they brought in, at some point in time, they brought in something demonic or demonic-like. I can't prove what it was, but my own gut feeling is that this thing was really powerful and really bad, and everybody that died in that house stayed there. You didn't leave. Your spirit yeah, didn't yeah, leave. When, when we met the psychic, I mean, uh, it was something Marcia didn't know. 
uh, mm. that's in the book. And I don't know if she even read the damn book. Oh, uh, I did too. Let's just stop. But I found the only thing that I found when I was my brother and I were painting was a, a Ouija board. Yeah. And it was a well-worn yeah. old Ouija board. And I immediately took it out on the back porch, broke it into like a trillion pieces, and didn't think anything of it. Well, when the psychic and the exorcist interviewed us and they were prepared to try to cleanse the house, I mentioned that. And the psychic, you know, very astutely said to me, the house was occupied by adults. And I said, yes. Yes. A family. He said, no, it was a well-worn Ouija board. And I said, yes. And he immediately knew. He said, they probably invited something in here. Oh, yeah. And that's what caused him to call in an exorcist. Because he felt as a psychic, he was he was a smart man. And uh, he felt that there was something there that he couldn't handle. Right. And, yeah. uh you know, I dedicated the book to him because he was kind. He held our hand and, and through life, actually, till he passed. Right. And as many psychics, and you probably know more than I do, psychics uh, and so-called gifted people, Char, mm-hmm. but Joe was the only person that he, I definitely knew he was gifted because he, he proved that to me, but if you handed him something, he could either do one of two things. He'd either tell you a wealth of stuff about yourself or he would just all of a sudden go cold and he would he would admit i i'm not getting anything i got nothing i got nothing yeah Yeah. he'd say it in chicago language because he was a chicago guy he'd say i got nothing and you know i must know 120 psychics since we've entered the paranormal community i've never Mm -hmm. heard one say i got nothing (laughs) they they can you know they can they can give you readings over the phone, over Skype, over this, over that, you know, by paper airplane. And and no one's ever said, I got nothing, which kind of makes me worry, you know, about well, the honesty it's kind of the and truth, integrity. I'm sure we, yeah, everybody should just be honest. If they don't have anything, they don't have anything. Right. And do something else. Mm-hmm. Because they're human, yeah. So you don't know everything, so... Uh, yeah, that may be. That's a good question. It's a good point, and I think. Well, that's it's not like the radio. It's not like. No. Yeah, it's not like the antennas are always up, and you're always, <laughs> always getting well, something. Well, that's what happened badly to the uh, the psychic. I can't remember her name. She's Italian. She's uh, short blonde hair. But anyway, uh, she. Uh, Caputo. You know, be yes, uh, be rating. Her guess when they say no, that is not me, and she'll insist. And then she just was. It was uh, many people she did that to. I just was she. I don't understand why she's taking it out on the people. She should right. just say, "I'm just not. I'm off tonight." You know what I right. mean? Or or something. And it would have been more connected. graceful. Right. Yeah, it would have been more graceful than what she she had done. And actually, it turned me off. I just never watch her anymore. I just thought, you I know, you can't take it out on the poor person that's no. reading. Well, I, the person that used to make me really upset was Sylvia Brown because she would sit there very pompous and very arrogant, and she, you know, she'd only see, you know, she was perfectly psychic when there was an audience there. She'd see mm-hmm. Uncle George standing behind you, and, mm-hmm. you know, do you have an Uncle George? Do you have this? Do you have that? And she'd probe until the person, until she got a yes. And then the spirit yeah. becomes very fluent and talkative. Well, your Uncle George says four score and seven years ago and starts, you know, well, why couldn't he say his damn name? 
you know, George who? Well, uh, well, it doesn't. And you see these theatrics, and it's like, uh, no, that that don't fly. Uh, My husband's too logical. I think that psychics are like everybody else. They have to connect to the person. And we don't connect to everybody, you know, for whatever reason. That's what I think, too. Yeah, and, uh, we just I, don't. Yeah, because I lied to her, and then she made some mistakes, and I just felt, well, she's human, and uh, don't try to force things so much, but I can't really tell anybody anything, you know what I mean? But it's, uh, it's you know, it's just, well, anyway, we only got, like, about 10 minutes left. I don't know how this happened, <laughs> but it's, it's going short, so uh, tell us about, oh, God, I have a few million more questions, so... If there's any questions in chat, you're welcome to uh, ask me questions now and ask, ask our, our uh, beloved guest, Edna uh, Marsha, any questions you want to say. Yeah, Joe just said something about attachment, how to go place to place. That's that word that everybody's been using, like a ghost gets attached to you. Attachments, yeah. No, yeah. I attachments, I think, are very, very uh, common, a lot more than people think. And I think that it's probably one of the scariest things because so many people don't even realize they have them. It's changing them. It's whispering to them. It's changing who they are, how they think, um, their decision-making. We've watched it with a lot of people that we know since we've entered this awesome community, and mm-hmm. it scares us. For yeah, them. yeah, we've seen a number of investigators Take a slide, yeah, yes. downhill, and they don't they don't attribute it to what they're doing or how they're doing it. Now it's uh, not mm-hmm. possession. There's a difference. It's not possession, but it's that all of a sudden things become negative. Right, their, their lives, their life, different. their home relationship, their job, uh, and right down to their health sometimes. Right. Uh, well, a lot of times their health. Do if you if everybody what we started to realize in the last year or so, is how many people in this community have all of a sudden got heart problems that never yeah. had it for. No reason for it. Just now, now young young people, we're not talking about like us, I'm going to be 7 or 69 soon, uh, and I've had but a series of heart problems from dying, youth. Dying. On the, yes. you know, there's a lot of deaths in young, healthy sports guys and then you know i hear it all the time somebody passing way young i, I don't get it i used to well that's your spiritual while. right that's your spiritual part that's what they want and that's what they're going after and that's your core that's your spiritual core yeah and, i posted on my page one that was dramatic I, I don't remember all the names involved but the investigator that stayed at the haunted hotel and uh he came out in the morning walked outside and stabbed himself, you know. Oh. That clearly is was not what oh. he wanted to do that morning, uh, you know. Yes. I think I'll go to a haunted hotel and then stab myself the next morning. No, something grabbed a hold of him. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> right. It's like I told, we were on, uh, I forgot what show it was, but the two ladies there, I said to them, if I took your hands, and I said, let's go to the zoo, You'd come along with me. And they said, sure. And I said, but wait one thing. Before I open this gate, all the animals are loose. Now they both said, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. We're not going in there. Well, that's what Mm -hmm. you just did. Well, that's what you do in a paranormal situation, except that you can't see them. 
they're, they're, and simply because they're invisible, it's easy for people not to fear. I mean, I found that out on Campbell Street. Had the boogeyman come out of the closet, we would have been sleeping in the car. Right. That yeah. ain't how they do it. That ain't how they do it. If you're if you're vulnerable in any way, if you're not well or you're depressed or or anything normal, okay, that is when you are at your weakest. That's when they grab onto you because they can, and you don't yeah. even see it coming. You don't even realize that you're changing until your friends say, "Whoa, what's wrong with you?" This isn't you. You don't talk like this. You don't. And and uh, at first you won't believe it. At first you're a big denial, and that's the hardest thing to get over and the hardest thing to get through people that, yes, you are changing. And we've been, I've been through this with several of my friends and at his too. Well, in interviewing Marsha for True Haunting 2, I mean, I, at one point I got my different jobs and I was working days, evenings, whatever. I wasn't there. And I saw dramatic changes in my sister, what I thought were dramatic changes. Yes. In interviewing Marsha, she didn't see him dramatically. She saw my sister slide. Yeah. You know, first Uh-oh. she wasn't taking care of the children. Then she decided yeah. not, to, not to do clothes. Then she decided not to put on her makeup. Then she decided her hygiene you know, started to be lacking. Mm-hmm. Then she started to get mean. And she went through this transition that Marsha witnessed that I never saw. So, you know, my sister and I would clash once a month, and I'd say, what the hell is wrong with her? And Marcia saw the whole transition. Sure. Marcia could probably tell you exactly what every point of what happens to a person as they slide down that hill. Yes, it's not all at once. This It'll be bits and pieces until your life crumbles right before your eyes. And one morning you'll say, what the hell just happened? You know, uh, my relationships are gone. This is happening. My friends are avoiding me. Um, what did I do wrong? But you don't see yourself the way everybody else does. And you don't. Sometimes, if you're very lucky, you'll listen to somebody. And sometimes we are lucky enough to say, you need help. And we get them help. If we can't do it, we'll get them someone who can. Because it's obvious. It, it, you get a nice person that turns mean. You get a good person that all of a sudden starts thinking the world sucks and everybody in it. And they start talking negative about every person around them. You know that this, yes, there are mean people on the earth, of course, and they're just that way naturally. So, no, they probably don't have attachments. They're just mean. But for the average person, the man may lose his job because the people around him don't even know why, but they're shying away from him. And all of a sudden, they make he makes everybody uncomfortable. So, yes, you know, they lose their job, and if they lose their job, they may lose their house. They lose their house, they lose their family. Families, whole families break up because you have become this person they don't recognize. They don't know. Instinctively, they know you're not right. You're not the same. And attachments have a way of getting on other people around you. See, it's not just you. They will get on your wives, your husbands. Um, I have problem with children. I don't know about children because they're innocent. So in my mind, children have a certain amount of protection. 
Um, mm-hmm. But not that it can't happen. I think if the parent um, is not careful and can do certain things, it can also get on the children. Um, Marsha, yeah. Marsha, am I going to get to promote anything or what? Are you going to no, talk forever? No, because I didn't get to say anything the whole time. <laughs> you know, everybody, everybody out there, go out right now and buy True Hunting 1 and read it before True Hunting 2 comes out. And you can reach me at www.edwinbecker.com or www.truehaunting.com. If you go to edwinbecker.com, there's a tab for spiritual assistance, which will take you to the order of exorcists. Right. Uh, where you can get some help if if you're concerned about a situation or advice. And uh, Marsha sells her rosaries on www.rosaries by Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Oh, shush. <laughs> well, it, I'll also try to keep you And she also sells on eBay, too, I think, because um, I, I am a blessed person that um, I have gotten some of your rosaries. And thank you. So my sister is recovering from breast cancer. And Marsha made her the most beautiful prayer beads. And, um, oh, thank it, you. She, she's been on a cruise, so I haven't been able to give it to her, so I'm so excited about it. But, um, you know, when I first got my first set of rosary from you, um, I felt immediately like I wanted to be a better person. So that's what you're doing for others, is you're bringing out the best in us. And I oh, want to just thank, thank you guys so much just for being yourselves. And, um, you know, I think that... Um, that people make you happy, and I, and the way you guys are, and the love that you send out brings the people to you. And you have such we a never got to talk about family. the movie possibility, and, and uh... what the heck? Talk about it now. <laughs> you are out of time, but talk well, about it. <laughs> Will there be a true haunting movie? Uh, will there? Well, I could say there will be a movie, definitely. Uh, whether it's going to be a true haunting movie is my fight. Because I've been dealing right now. The only reason I can talk right now is because I'm between options. Once I sign an option, uh, there's a gag order because they want the right to a press release if the option is completed. Right. Uh, so right now I'm free for about a week because I've got another option coming. Well, but our, our, even if it goes our, over, it'll still tape. So I'm go sorry. Ahead and go. Even if um, it goes over, we'll still it'll still be taping the the chat people. And some people won't be able to hear it, but they can hear it in our cuts. So keep just keep cool. going. I'm, I'm having the, the same fight. I'm having the same fight with movie companies, and including a, a publisher who wants to do True Haunting and put it out in wide distribution. The publisher wants to do that, but they they want to, quote unquote, actual words, they want to up the creep factor, which means they want to add some some stuff to True Haunting that isn't true. And so far, we have not agreed. Right, we won't do that. We've been through. Uh, we're now on our third movie option. Right. And uh, the first option, uh, they wrote the screenplay and they came back and they, you know, everybody's like a dog. They want to pee on your work. They wrote the screenplay and they made Marsha and me psychics. <laughs> and I, I, that's all I had to read. I, I said, I, I said, this ain't gonna fly. Uh, I, I. I if I was psychic, I never would have bought the darn building, you know. So I threw. What they're having a hard time with me because I, <laughs> I reserve the right to refusal when it comes to the screenplay. Right. So no, I'm not going to have, you know, if if, if my book's going to be able to wear a banner that says now a major motion picture, the motion picture better damn well resemble the book, you know. Uh, I'm not going to do what they did to the Conjuring. Let's say. 
uh, yeah. made it a hodgepodge. A hodgepodge. No, that ain't going to happen. Now, we'll be talking to them Sunday, so we'll see what the new Yeah, we're going to another step. But right now, I've, yes. I've got about a week that I can talk where I'm not under gag order once I sign the next papers. And I, all, these, all these agreements are 18 months. So we've been through mm-hmm. two 18-month agreements, and now we're about to enter a third. Yeah. So for that 18 months, I won't be able to talk. Uh, oh, that's rough. Not publicly. Yeah, because, you know, you, if I was a young man, I'd probably want bragging rights. I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd sign yeah. anything. But but the truth of the matter is that I don't give a crap. Okay, I want the, <laughs> I want the story told correctly. Well, it's, it's our it's our it's our legacy. It is. Yeah. It is exactly. And and, and, uh, and I do want a big screen movie because we easily could have took a very lucrative deal to make a a movie with sci-fi, which I didn't do. Uh, so I want a big screen movie, but I want it to resemble the book a little bit and uh, a lot actually. And, yeah. and, and it's got plenty of places for imagery. Sure, uh, sure. So I mean, such as Paranormal Witness showed a man behind me in the bathtub. They did that for a reason, because it's hard for people to visual what I was feeling. And right. that's what they were trying to do. They weren't trying to lie. That is how I felt. But, you know, how do you how do you show that without doing that? So, yeah. You, you get some, I mean... Uh... It's not easy, you know. That, that's all I can tell you. If, if somebody says, "Oh, I'm, I'm, they're going to make my book a movie and they're dancing up and down," they're full of crap because uh-huh. I'm not dancing up and down. I've paid fourteen hundred dollars so far in legal bills going over. These are when they give you a contract. This is a contract mm-hmm. that's been developed over fifty years. Yeah, it's a contract yeah. full of gotchas. Every yeah. every paragraph yeah. is a gotcha, and if you don't watch it. The one paragraph says they automatically get the sequel rights. Yeah. No, they don't. <laughs> you know, you, you have to catch. Will you do consulting on the set? Well, you have to go line by line. You're gonna have to yeah. go yeah. line by yeah. line and go through the whole thing. That's very tedious. And then you got to know the questions they ask. So, you right. know, Shar, will you do consulting on the set? Well, that should be yes. Except. But then, but then there's other questions involved. Who pays you to go to the set? Who you pays you, you, you don't know where the set yeah. is at. Who's right. going to pay for accommodations? Who's right. going to pay for meals? Will there be a consulting fee? Uh, it goes on and on. It goes on and on. But and, they need uh, to understand, this is our life. We live yes. this. This is our life. And not only did we live it then, we've lived it ever since. I mean, this is something that, that affects you your entire life. So, yeah, this was our life. We don't want a bunch of crap put in a movie and for people to think that that's really what happened we want the truth there's enough truth there and you know make the truth make a real true movie i mean they can use they i'll give them some tolerance i mean i gave paranormal witness plenty of tolerance right uh, as long as they stayed to the bones of the story right yeah but Uh, that wasn't hokey or anything so you don't want to be like poltergeist or something that's kind of corny because that because I still, I just watched the tenant again. Because I, I didn't, I, I don't know how I missed it, but I missed it, and I was kind of glad because it was really great seeing you guys, and uh, you know, seeing you, and then I know you now. And but they didn't make it. I loved the way uh, they're interviewing, and then they had the scenes and all that. So it was very respectful, and uh, we just wanted some more of the same. And uh, I, uh, I wonder if. 
if uh, you know who you can, else you can add is is consulting. Are you guys and uh, maybe uh, Dan? I don't know if he would do it. No, I don't you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, no. Yeah. But yeah, they, they. It was one of the things I I had a phone to pick with them because I I yeah. told them they needed a consultant. They needed a, uh, you know, in these crime shows have a policeman on on board, so they can use exactly. the right type of gun. They can do right. you know the procedures. Paranormal is no different. Uh, you know, not everything. Not you know, if your house is teepeed in the morning, <coughs> that's not paranormal. Okay, <laughs> uh, and that's what they had in one of their first right. episodes. And, right. And, uh, then they had one that had a witch, a ghost, a demon, all, you know. And I said, you know, that was a hodgepodge. And, and uh, so I was very critical of them. And, and I'm still mad at them because <laughs> they used, they well, took my voice. Yes. They, they yes, took my that's... voice. And, and uh, in season three, all of a sudden people are calling me saying, we're hearing your voice on sci-fi. And I said, for what reason? Well, they took sound bites where I, I said, uh, we did not know what we were dealing with. All right? <laughs> they, they liked that, so they started using it. <laughs> and and I said, they owe me for sound bites. Uh, <laughs> so, so did you ever clear it up? or? No, uh, no. I, 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 I took it as a compliment. I actually love those guys, the production people. <laughs> He's yeah. just being silly. But yeah. it's just a point that they, you know, there's just a lot to know, a lot to deal with. We're getting an education. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Right. But this is a wonderful time that it's happening right now, too, because you have sure. the time that you can give that to and, you know, make them accommodate you guys, you know, and uh, don't I, work I, too I, hard at it. You know what I, I mean? I, so I believe make, it is. I, I believe it will happen because... Work. Yeah, I, I believe it'll happen because uh, the first company that approached us is now coming back for a second shot at us after this other option. So my guess is they're willing to make some compromises uh, based on my right of, of approval. Uh, if we can get it to where we can keep it realistic, uh, yeah, you're going to see a true haunting movie. There's no doubt. There's three companies so far that want to make it. So. It'll be done. Well, it has it's something just... to offer, just not sensationalism. It has some really uh, something to offer as as far as intellectual, smart. Uh, tell tell us how people can move through this, what how it changes your life. It could, you know, you want to learn from it too. We just don't have right. to have a lot of of the other stuff. I mean, we we really know what your books are about because we read it, and so. We're craving it, so you have a you have a following, and I'm sure there's people out there that once they see it, you know they're they're gonna really it's gonna I I feel like it's gonna be a big hit. I, I hope do. so. I, I uh, people are surprised. Exciting. I, I uh, recently I was asked by one of these uh, big wigs, you know, how did your book get so popular? Because I've done tens of thousands of copies, and I told them I have no idea. And he thought I was giving him some BS. I, I said I don't I don't do book signings. I ha- I've turned down all appearances, including a few paid. I have not spent a penny advertising. I just threw wow. it out on Amazon. Yeah, I threw it out on Amazon, mm-hmm. and it took off. And uh, I didn't That's even have the courage. Be. I didn't ah. have the I didn't have the courage to talk on radio till 
The book was out almost two years. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah, the book was out <laughs> right. almost two years. Now they can't shut me up. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Oh, little by little, we're taking over the airways. <laughs> Thank you so thank you so much. You're you're very welcome, you guys, and I enjoy uh, our friendship and I love you guys so much. And you're welcome. We love you too. All of you all of you in the chat room. God bless all of you in the chat room. Yes, uh, they're good chatters. Yes, and they just think our good friend. He shows up for almost all our shows and bless his heart. He's heard this story Again, a zillion times, but he still supports us. <laughs> and we were coming up with shenanigans. The Archbishop shows up, and that was embarrassing. My cheeks were literally red. I know they are, because I was hot. And I saw him in here. <laughs> no. He, well, there, there's no better guest that you can have than yeah, Archbishop. He is okay, awesome. I'm going to ask him, because, uh, yeah, because we're Facebook friends, but, you know, I get, I'm shy. People don't realize. Oh, no, he's, he, I blab, he's, I'm shy. he's a Kind man. He's a he kind is. and yes. very giving man, and he's yes. You know, he he is. Uh, Just ask him. I will. I mean, he is the the interview. He's the ultimate interview. Yes. He, you've got the the genuine article right there. And he's great. Okay. I will now ask him because we've been friends for months and months and months, and I haven't done yes. anything. I just I just read his stuff. So. Is, is anyway, he still I in the chat room? Is, is no, I is think he's still I think, there. Well, but I he's, think he walked away from his computer or something. He had to walk away. He had a, he had a uh, something he was. Uh, your Excellency, Your Excellency, if you're listening, call Shar and get on our show. <laughs> <laughs> he's a great interview, and he's very open and honest, and uh, we just adore him. He's Helped us out a few times. I admire him a great deal. Yes, a great deal. Very dedicated. Well, if there's anything I can do for you guys, you know, please let me know because you have really been there for me so much. Oh, we we love you. Anytime you want us on, you just call us. Yeah, if we can do anything for you, let us know. I feel the same way about you. So, and you guys, uh, anytime, good luck with everything. God bless you, and it was wonderful having you on, and I'm very honored. And uh, you guys take care. Thank you, thank you so much. Okay, love you. We well, love you too. Good night. Good night. Good night. God bless. God bless. So, what a wonderful couple! I just, I think so highly of them, and uh, they help so many people, and uh, I'm one of them, so I'm very grateful. So, anyway, follow the links to contact me. You can leave a message if you would like to be part of our show or for general help and assistance. If you'd like to write me, you know, you can write me a letter, snail mail. Sean McCain, P.O. Box 980, Hermosa Beach, California. And uh, no hate mail, please. Anyway, I want to thank all of our guests in chat. What a wonderful group. And all of our, our call-in listeners, they were there patiently hanging on the phone. And uh, the show is archived, so you may listen to it again and again and again. So tell your friends, because we're going to be back next week, because the paranormal sacred is a place where the unheard may be heard. And recommend us to your family and friends. I want to God bless everybody and may your best dreams, dreams come true. And may true love live in your house, heart and house, and love each other because we're the only humans we got so far. And please just have peace in your heart. Love you guys. Take care. Bye bye.